Uh, yes, it is. And this is your host, Noah Davis. Why, yeah, it is. And this is the podcast where you talk about anything you watch this week. Well, it seems as though that's the case. Let's get right into it. I watched a, a little known movie you guys might have heard about. I don't know. You know, no one's seen this movie. I watched Office Space for the first time fully all the way through. Growing up, I, of course, saw it on Comedy Central and saw bits and pieces, you know, this and that, some scenes, the ending, maybe the beginning, who knows. I finally sat down and watched it all. I totally see why this is a classic. It's not a gut-busting, raunchy comedy, yet it accurately portrays life so well that it's almost impossible not to like. As someone who was a server... And someone who has also worked a desk job where I did nothing, it's almost uncanny how much I related to both the main character and Jennifer Aniston's character. It's, there's almost nothing to say about this movie because I'm sure everything I've said has been said before. It is a fun movie, very easy to watch, almost a little too accurate to the point that maybe it's not so easy to watch because you don't want to be reminded of your own mundane journey, you know, but still a fun comedy. I can totally understand why it's a classic and it deserves its place in that realm. Next up, I watched Painkiller, which is Netflix's Dope Sick in every single way. If you haven't watched Dope Sick, it is a fantastic show on Hulu. It is a fictionalization or a dramatization Man, I always get that word messed up because I think I say it right, but then when you hear it, you're kind of left wondering. Of the opioid crisis in America. The Hulu one starred Michael Keaton and Rosario Dawson, among other people. And this one stars Matthew Broderick. And Matthew Broderick? There were other people in this. I just can't remember. Matthew Broderick actually did a great job. But... Netflix's dope sick in every way, and by Netflix's, I mean Netflix's to the modern editing that might be a little too snappy. Then there's the overuse of pop songs to make you care about the show more because it has pop songs. And I think it was episode four, I believe it was episode four, three or four, that had six separate pop songs. And it's just kind of insane to me. I I think it's just, it's a little out of hand, a little out of pocket, you know. I do love Matthew Broderick and, oh, and Taylor Kitsch. He was great in it too. He plays someone affected, affected by the opioid crisis or I guess opioids in general. And I 
I, I don't know. I, I hate that Taylor Kitsch is always good in the things he's in, yet the things he's in aren't always good. If ever good. I, 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 I hate to say that, but it seems as though him and his agent what projects he picks aren't exactly my favorite things or projects or types of shows in movies, especially when this show I'm comparing it to dope sick because it is a clear mirror and a just uh, literally a mirror image. It's as though they got those producers that, you know, they make the Hercules movies, two movies in one year, or White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen happens in the same year, or, uh, you know, what ha- there are hundreds of other situations where that's happened. Uh, or even Little Mermaid and the Little Mermaid Kraken spoof animated movie that came out literally this summer within the last three months. You know, it happens all the time in movies, but I guess now it's happening in TV shows, and it's it's not odd. I, you know, it makes sense. A producer gets wind of another production, and money, money, money. You know how it goes. So, it makes sense. It's just odd because one movie is going to be better than the other, and it will be a direct contrast and comparison between the two. And I, I couldn't help but do that while watching Painkiller. Painkiller is mostly directed, and I, I think it's mostly, maybe every episode, was directed by Pete, Peter, Peter Berg. I, I don't know which one he goes by. I just remember the name Pete. Pete Berg or Peter Berg, who you might know as doing a lot of action movies. He did Lone Survivor, among others that I'm not going to list off because he just, he does a lot of those movies. And he directed, I believe, the first episode of The Leftovers, which is a fantastic show. Love that show. And yes, it exudes his style, but his action sequences or his way of editing action carry over into this non-action-y show, and it makes it feel like the big short, but not. You know, you're just, you expect someone to talk to the camera, and I think they do once or twice. It's maybe not as much as you'd expect, but you simply expect someone to talk at the camera and explain to you something that's happened you know, opioid crisis, and then it brings out a graph of, like, the money and the graph of the people. You know how it is. Big Short ruined everything and Wolf of Wall Street, whatever. (laughs) Both movies I like, but, God, the, the wrong lessons were learned, I believe, from those movies. And here we are watching Painkiller, which is six episodes of that. I mean, six episodes of that. And the best episode for me personally was the episode with an actual score and not random sequences of pop songs because that's my personal take, you know? I I don't like it when a scene relies on a pop song to be cool or to seem interesting. So that's how Painkiller was almost the whole time. I loved, absolutely loved Matthew Broderick and his role. I think he absolutely killed it. I don't know the last time I've said that. I don't know if I've ever said that about that particular man. You know, I'm not, I'm not knocking him. I just don't know if I've ever said, hey, Matthew Broderick kills it. You know, I, I think he's been good. I think he's been decent, but I don't know if I've ever said he killed it, but he did kill it in fact. And this is a fine show if you're in the mood for a ripoff or not a ripoff, a 
I don't want to say half-assed either because obviously the artists and creators a part of this show put their heart and soul into it and put all the work in. But a, um, let's just say a less inspired Dope Sick. Maybe that's better. It's still probably really insulting to the people who made Painkiller. And for that, I'm sorry. Yet, it's how I feel. You know, it's an opinion. Hate the art. Love the artist. You know what I'm saying? I will say it once. I'll say it again. I'll probably get a t-shirt of it. Just hate the art, love the artist. Because I have said this multiple times. I respect and adore all artists who put their heart out there, who put their work and their minds for the public and everyone to see. Yet, I can still hate your art. You know? Um, Carrot Top. I don't think Carrot Top is funny. I don't. I don't think Carrot Top is funny. I don't think if I've ever found him funny. Yeah, I respect the living hell out of the man, except if he's like a criminal or something. <laughs> I, I don't know enough about Carrot Top to say he's not a criminal, but if we just look at the artist of the man, you know, of his work, I love the fact that he put himself out there and has made millions of people laugh and makes millions doing it and selling out. I respect selling out, you know, go do you. If you're going to sell out, do it. You know, you need that money. It's, it's a world of money. You need the money. So I respect all of that. Yeah, I don't find him funny. I don't think prop humor is that funny. And I don't know if I've ever enjoyed him in anything. So that's kind of puts all my reviews and critiques into perspective if I hadn't already made that clear before. So Painkiller, I don't know. It's fine. Go watch Dope Sick on Hulu. That's like an actual dramatic TV show. And this is kind of a, not a fun and cutesy way, but it feels less sincere and it's about a very sincere problem that has affected millions and millions of people and especially in my area i mean millions of people not specifically millions of people in my area but a huge chunk of people in my area were affected and are affected by the opioid crisis even to this day so it feels not a slap in the face or anything it just feels a little lighter than it should be i think projects should reflect the subject matter they are based on or conceal, contain within them. And this show doesn't really do that. So, you know, it, it's fine. It's watchable. It's better than a lot of TV out there, yet it's still, it's still just fine. It's still just watchable. You know, it's still just better than some TV out there. So yeah, painkiller. Next up, Cocaine Bear. What the fuck was that movie? Okay, what the fuck was that movie? What? <laughs> what the fuck? I <laughs> sorry. I feel so bad for Elizabeth Banks. I I know I shouldn't feel bad for somebody who's made millions of dollars and probably enjoys their life and you know and is doing well at doing what she does. Except for the fact that I feel so bad that I kind of hated this movie to the point where I'm thinking oh, I don't know if I really like her vision. And again, <laughs> hate the art, not the artist. Because I'm about to hate on this movie, but I do not hate Elizabeth Banks. So, let's get one thing straight. This movie's called Cocaine Bear. The title is Cocaine Bear, and yet the Cocaine Bear really isn't that important. Really isn't, the movie really isn't about the Cocaine Bear. You know, Jaws is about Jaws. Yeah, he might not 
I guess it's a he. He might not get a lot of screen time, but it's about Jaws. Cocaine Bear is not really about Jaws. Or Jaws. <laughs> of course it's not. It's not really about Cocaine Bear because they shovel this mom and daughter's relationship onto the thing. They shovel this weird drug dealer's dad wants to kill him because of the cocaine plot. Then they have this, oh, here's the weird smart kid who says smart ass stuff. Then they have Ice Cube's son just playing a drug dealer who's just a cool badass and is not necessary at all. There's so many character dramas and plots going on and it's a movie called Cocaine Bear. If it was called Cocaine Bear and Friends or something... I could understand this, but it is literally not about the cocaine bear. And that annoys me. Let's just say, I don't know a better word. Perplexes me is probably up there too, because I am confused on why you would call a movie cocaine bear and then not be about the cocaine bear. Similar to the movie plane that I watched this year. That movie is not about the plane. That movie is not about being on the plane. That movie is about what happens after you get off a plane and I was, I sat through that whole plane movie envisioning a movie that's actually about a plane. So like, or pretty similar to what I experienced here, cocaine bear. I was imagining a movie about the cocaine bear and actually using the cocaine bear in a, in a weird, you could do, some sort of character development, you know, we've done animal characters. People have done animal characters for almost as long as movies have been around. Personification works. It still works. It will work. And it would have worked. So I don't see why we had to put this title titular character on the sidelines. It felt odd to me. It was an odd choice. I didn't really love any of the jokes. Is it a horror film? Is it a slasher film? Is it a comedy? Is it a thriller? It tries to be all of them and yet it succeeds as none of it. It doesn't really, it doesn't even really matter by the end of what it is. Like you, you're not even considering the genre at the end because none of the genres or subgenres really hit their points or hit their marks. So it's, it's almost just a, a kerfuffle of genres that don't really matter or it doesn't matter because the movie's not even worth the time to answer that question. It's, I, <laughs> even the comedy aspect wasn't funny. It had jokes. Yeah. Jokes. I guess if you can consider a kid cursing and saying, a 10-year-old cursing and saying he did cocaine, if, is that a joke? I guess that's a joke, maybe? I don't I don't know. I'm surprised they didn't make a sugar rush joke. I mean, that's literally the tone of this movie that I'm quite surprised by this. Uh, they, they made one funny animal joke, I think, and that, that was it. That was the only thing I remember. Well, jokes-wise, that's the only thing I remember. I remember the schlock that was this movie, but I don't remember the actual jokes because they weren't funny. And then they add Ray Liotta on top of that because Ray Liotta was necessary for this movie because uh, something. Oh, even the violence wasn't even creative enough to be funny. 
So you just have violence for violence's sake, not violence for humor's sake. It's not like a slapstick comedy, but with murder. That sounds hilarious. I think that would be hilarious if you could do general, you know, slapstick gags, but then the person dies, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think that's funny just thinking about it. But this movie just has murder and then gags. It's like two separate things that I don't really understand. I, You know, I don't understand this movie. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it was horror enough. I didn't think there was any action to it. I didn't think there were any thrills. So if I base this on all my reviews of other comedies, thrillers, horror movies, slasher flicks, and, you know, the rest of that, I would not give this a good review because it's none of those things. And it's not one of those things where, oh, it transcends boundaries. Nope. Nope. It doesn't. It really doesn't. It it doesn't transcend the boundary as in it didn't even make it to the boundary so that it couldn't even go past it. It's not like how ignition remix transcends pop songs and hip hop songs. This movie just doesn't even hit the mark. You know, it's just a movie. And if you watched it and you thought it was funny, wow, I applaud you. I, I applaud you because I, I, I couldn't do that. I could, I could barely sit through this movie. It was so bad. But hey, I, I live for that. I live for shitty movies. I live for great movies. I live for it all. And so to each their own, this movie sucked. Next up, Air. The Nike, not Nike, Michael Jordan, not Michael Jordan movie. You know, the Michael Jordan movie where you don't get to see anyone really act and play as Michael Jordan except for a kid for three seconds. The Nike movie where you don't really get to see Nike. You get to see one guy who worked at Nike. The <laughs> this is a dad movie. A dad movie. If I could ever put that moniker or title on a film, this would be it. This is the dad movie. And it's got some pop songs. Uh, the Netflix effect, if you will, that I've coined already. It's got so many pop songs it hurts. They don't, I don't think they have an original score. If you watch this movie, please count the number of times you hear an original score and then please count the number of times you hear a pop song. Because when I count pop song, it was over 15 songs. 15 songs and sequences had pop songs. So it begs the question, is it just cheaper to get pop songs? Is it cheaper than hiring a, an actual composer to do your music? Is it, is it cheaper just to get rights for old songs? Because that's the only way that makes sense to me. Be, because, again, I don't like it when scenes rely on pop songs. And I feel as though this movie did that just the whole way through. It relied too much on other things. It relied on... Hey, you like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, so you'll like this. And, you know, they're not wrong. I did like like those, too. Uh, hey, you like pop songs and old classic rock and 80s stuff or 90s stuff. I, you know, it's that era. Late 80s, early 90s. Whatever. Doesn't matter. It does not matter. Oh, well, then you'll like this. Oh, you like Nike and stuff? Oh, you'll like this. You like Michael Jordan? you like this. And... It never really culminates into a complete package for me. It feels a little too breezy. I do think a movie can be breezy, and that can be a positive, but this movie is so breezy that it's fleeting. It comes and goes. 
There's no ebb and flow. It's here and then it's out. And it's got a solid story, I guess. Maybe the execution is a little left to be desired, but the story's fine. The side characters were good. And I do want to... Sorry, excuse me. I do want to <laughs> say one last thing about this movie. If Ben Affleck is the best part of your movie, that's not a good thing. Ben Affleck is not a bad actor. He, he's, he's not a bad actor. I actually think he's a great actor. Yeah, he gets a little, he gets shoehorned into things and sometimes he gets typecast and sometimes he just plays himself. But I think he's a great actor that can do multiple things. I think he has a range that he's just not really interested in exploring, which, you know, that's a creative decision by him. It doesn't matter. If he's the best part of your movie, that's not a great thing. And he was the best part of this movie. Just like he was... Just like he was the best part of The Last Duel, which was really Scott's movie like two years ago. I didn't like Last Duel at all. But <laughs> just, a, just a heads up on anyone going to defend modern Ridley Scott to me. Just move along. Don't even bother commenting or whatever. Just move along. So Ben Affleck being the best part of your movie is never a good sign. It really isn't. And I, it sounds like an insult to Ben Affleck, but it's not. It's really not. The only reason... It's not a good sign is that, like I just said, he's not willing to expand his versatility. So his limited choices, again, are limiting to his depth as an actor. And so when you have a limiting depth as the best part of your movie, that's, you know, that's not really uh, the biggest positive in the world. It's not. It, it just ain't. So, yeah, Ben Affleck, love you, love your work, but, uh, you know, you shouldn't be the best part of a movie. It just shouldn't happen, and that's that's the case with Air, just like it was with The Last Duel. So, moving on. White House Plumbers, Justin Theroux, Woody Harrelson, absolutely hilarious. Lena Headley, Hadley, Headley, Hadley, I don't know if it's an E or an A. I should look that up, but... Amazing show. Justin Theroux absolutely kills it. I love his character. It might be one of the funniest characters I've seen on TV. It might even compare to Laszlo from what we do in the shadows because it's absolutely hilarious and had no right to being that funny. It's a funny show. Almost feels as though it's a Soderbergh Oceans movie, except everybody's idiots. I mean, really idiots. Not, oh, everybody's quirky and dumb, just like Ocean's movies are. <laughs> but everybody's a fucking idiot. And it excels. It's a bumbling mess of a show, but in the best way possible. It's a bumbling mess because all the characters are just so stupid. So stupid <laughs> that you can't help but laugh and love. It's... It's a great show. Uh, easy to watch. It's five episodes, hour long, boom, bada, bing, you're done, you're in and out, but in the best way possible. It's not fleeting as much as it's momentous. You know, it, it goes, it goes, and it doesn't stop until, you know, the end. And that, you know, that only works most of the time. <laughs> it, it only works well most of the time. And I don't really have much to say about the show itself without just spoiling specific sequences. Other than that, it's a fucking hilarious show, and it's a comedy. So, take that review exactly how I just said it. Last thing I watched, well, if you don't count what we do in the shadows, but again, 
I don't really talk about the shows I just really like because I would just be talking about every single scene every week and just talking about how funny they were. Ha ha. No, it's a good show. Hilarious. And I'll keep watching it till the end. Next up. Oh, wait, last thing. Dark Side of the Ring ended. That's a bummer. Next up, The Tick, the animated TV show. Because I watched the live action Amazon one, maybe, I think it was during quarantine or a little after quarantine. Absolutely loved that show. And I remember liking the animated show as a child. So it's fun to go back and just sit down and actually watch it, even if there has been no up-resing at all, no remaster, nothing. It is still 480p, and to call it 480p might be wrong, because (laughs) the resolution just ain't there. They haven't touched this show up at all for streaming. I mean, at all. It. I don't even think it's been touched since it came out, or, you know, since it was released, and that adds a charm to it. It makes me feel as though it's 3 a.m. I'm on Toon Disney. I'm waiting for the shark infomercials. You know, that it gives a overwhelming sense of nostalgia. So I just love watching that show and it's hilarious. I mean, it's, it's so kid friendly. It hurts. You know, I could watch this with my nieces or nephew and they wouldn't be offended. You know, I wouldn't be offended on their part for anything because it's just so dumb and silly. It almost reminds me of Batman Brave and the Bold, which is also an amazing, fantastic, superhero, family-friendly animated show. But this one, of course, has to do it with original characters that you're not aware of, which, yeah, it's an uphill battle, of course, because, like I said, or as I'm comparing it to Batman Brave and the Bold, Batman Brave and the Bold had the advantage of having characters you know, characters you like, characterizations you like and know, and they can make fun of that. Whereas The Tick is just making fun of superheroes as a whole. So it has to do a little more groundwork, a little more legwork to get those jokes to land. And it does it well. It does it superbly. I love the animation. It's so fucking good. And it has no reason to since it was, what, a children's show in 1996. It really shouldn't look as good as it does, albeit, you know, the up resolution, no up resolution or whatever. It looks fantastic. And the animation direction, I just, oh man, whoever directed the animation or was in charge of that department, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to applaud you too. I'll applaud the people who somehow liked Cocaine Bear, and I'll applaud this animation director who's absolutely fantastic and has a great eye for sequences and, you know, animation as a whole, animating, movement, motion, momentum, all of that. It excels in the tick. And, of course, it's just a cheap kid show in the 90s, which makes it all the more better. It really does. But I think that is all I've watched this week. A little bit of a long one, but I think I capped off my reviews so that they would be short. I don't think I have anything else to say. That is episode, episode 14. Yes, episode 14 of the Noah Davis Watchcast. I will see you next week on episode 15. I'm out of here.
Thank you.